0: with driving a car Um, so you know we know that there are many communities who would like to have a station Uh, we can't do that to keep the train moving um, along the tracks so we want to make sure that we're providing an efficient service that people will want to take um, and choose to opt out of the car for making that journey We also want to note that this proposal has the 100% support of the Riverside County Transportation Commission, uh, which is represented uh, here by uh, uh, Commissioner Harnick. It's also Supervisor Perez uh, representing District 4 from the county. Uh, Every city in Riverside County is on this commission, and there is unanimous support for this project. I have to tell you that doesn't happen very often when we bring a project of this magnitude. There's um, sometimes some controversy or some people asking questions. This is one that the region is entirely behind. So what does it look like? Here's a map. Um, So on the west, you see the the terminus in L.A. Union Station. Uh, That's a transportation hub for all of Southern California. There's daily rail service that goes up and down the coast, north to south on the Pacific Surfliner. There's Metrolink trains going um, to all of the counties in Southern California, um, and eventually someday possibly high-speed rail, as well as the uh, L.A. County Metropolitan um, Transit System uh, that has several lines terminating there. So this can be another connection heading out to the Coachella Valley. We do plan to use the existing stop in Fullerton, uh, the existing stop in downtown Riverside. And we're looking at new stations in San Bernardino County in the Redlands Loma Linda area, a location to, to be identified uh, later in consultation with our partners in that county. Uh, we're looking at a station in the San Gorgonio Pass area, uh, again in consultation with our partners in that region, um, including tribal governments. And we're looking at a station in Mid Valley in approximately this area as well as a station in Indio and the termination point on the east end in the city of Coachella. So that's the vision right now. And I do want to note as we're looking at this map, you'll see it kind of takes a turn north of Riverside in the city of Colton. We'll be operating on two different freight railroad tracks uh west of colton will be on the bnsf line and east of colton will be on the union pacific which comes through this area it's important to note that the entirety of this service will be on freight railroad tracks that are not owned by the public and that is something that will have to be addressed in the future so get to this point we've done a lot of public outreach Um, to get to the environmental document that the commission certified in july uh, we had to do public outreach receive comments Um, i'm happy to report um, that throughout that process we received over 500 comments from the public and over 80 percent of them were uh, supportive of the project the other 20 percent were mostly raising questions about the impacts on freight traffic would this be bringing more freight TRAFFIC THROUGH THE REGION AS YOU KNOW um, that, that, THAT CAN BE AN ISSUE IN MANY COMMUNITIES um, BUT THERE'S OVERWHELMING PUBLIC SUPPORT FOR THIS PROJECT BASED ON WHAT WE'VE SEEN SO FAR um, WE'VE HELD MULTIPLE BRIEFINGS um, WITH STAKEHOLDERS SUCH AS THE CITY um, TRIBAL GOVERNMENTS um, OTHER COMMUNITY GROUPS uh, BOTH VIRTUAL AND uh, WE CONTINUE to, TO DO THAT OUTREACH BY THIS PRESENTATION HERE TODAY AND um, SHOULD WE TAKE THE NEXT STEPS AS I'LL DESCRIBE uh, IN A MOMENT WE WILL BE DOING MORE OUTREACH AND THERE WILL BE MORE OPPORTUNITIES for, the, FOR YOUR CONSTITUENTS TO ENGAGE. So where are we now? Actually, this, this, this doesn't tell the whole story. The, ver- the vision for this project started in 1991, and we just didn't have a slide big enough to put all of everything that's happened on here, but it really got momentum back in 2016 when we received a grant from Senator Feinstein or through her office uh, and the Federal Railroad Administration to begin the uh, environmental document we just completed, um, which was the uh, Tier 1, a uh, very conceptual-level environmental document, and what we're trying to do now is get the funding for Tier 2 uh, which is this is going to be the more specific study that looks at things like stations. It'll look at the impacts uh, on the communities of adding the third track, we will need to add another track to there's two tracks out there on Union Pacific's line. In order to run this service, we'll need to add a third track east of Colton. That is a lot of miles of track. Um, and so we do need to take uh, a look at what this means um, from an environmental traffic. Um, ALL SORTS OF DIFFERENT ANGLES uh, TO MAKE SURE THAT uh, that we're, WE'RE DOING THE RIGHT THING. SO THAT PROCESS uh, HOPEFULLY WILL will BEGIN SOON AND THEN ONCE WE FINISH THAT ENVIRONMENTAL DOCUMENT WE'LL BE ABLE TO BEGIN DESIGNING THE PROJECT uh, AND THEN CONSTRUCTING IT AND THEN RUNNING SERVICE. SO WE STILL NEED MORE MONEY uh, TO GET THAT SECOND PHASE OF THAT ENVIRONMENTAL DOCUMENT COMPLETE. WE'VE PUT TOGETHER ABOUT $40 MILLION OF THE $60 million THAT WE NEED. THAT IS A LOT OF MONEY FOR AN ENVIRONMENTAL DOCUMENT BUT AGAIN THIS IS A 144-MILE route. So it is an extensive process. Um, we believe we need $60 million. We have put in a grant to the federal government for $20 million. We are hoping to hear in the next few months whether we got that $20 million from the U.S. Department of Transportation. I want to thank the city for providing a letter of support to the U.S. Department of Transportation for that grant, um, as you have on all of our other previous efforts. Um, there is a lot of money in the Bipartisan Infrastructure Act that Congress passed and the President signed last year for rail, uh, and we're hopeful to be receiving some of that money for this project. And also pleased to report that our entire congressional delegation from Riverside County, both sides of the aisle, both chambers, full support of the project. Uh, at RCTC, uh, there is a special ad hoc committee uh, of commissioners in support of this project from both from all parts of the county. Um, there was a delegation that went to Washington, D.C. in September to rally support for the project. The California Transportation Secretary has been down to uh, Riverside to meet with us about this project. Um, Commissioner Harnick participated in a meeting with the CEO of Amtrak, who came to Los Angeles and wanted to speak specifically about this potential rail service. Um, so we had a, an audience with the CEO of Amtrak to talk about that in August. And um, former mayor of L.A., Antonio Villaraigosa, has been appointed as the governor's infrastructure advisor, and he's had multiple meetings with us, including a visit out here to the Coachella Valley, um, where we discussed uh, the potential for this project to meet the governor's agenda. Uh, I also want to note that, uh, especially recently, um, there has been a lot of uh, media attention on this project. We've had... Uh, Media coverage from uh, very local publications such as the CV reporter all the way to national public radio uh, and everything in between wanting to talk about uh, the potential for this rail service to come to the Coachella Valley and we hope to continue that interest and, and are very grateful for those who have covered it so. Um, As we go forward, you can stay in touch. Your constituents can stay involved. Um, There is a special project webpage here, rctc.org slash CVR. Uh, Our other uh, contact information is on the screen. There is a way to sign up on the website for people to put their email address in. They can get email alerts about what's happening as we go forward uh, and stay in the loop. Uh, We welcome everybody's input along the the ride. So uh, thank you for allowing me to present this to you and to your community. I'm happy to take questions.
1: And before questions, let let me just see if our representative to our CTC has anything to add.
2: Well, after Mr. Hake speaks, it's always hard to add anything because he's always so thorough. Thank so thank you for that. Uh, it's exciting, and you know, our community has been great every time we've asked for support. Uh, the community has shown support through letters through emails, and we need to continue to do, that, to do this. We can't slow down now. We really have to, to continue uh, emphasizing how important this is. And I think one of the things that uh, Aaron said at the beginning is we are the largest area geographically and population that, population-wise that does in the United States, that does not have daily commuter rail. And it's time we had it. So thank you for everybody's support thus far. And I know we'll be asking for more support as we go forward. Great. Yes, Council Member Astani. Well, this is very exciting. And thank you, Council Member Harnick. I know you you talk about it on a regular basis to to keep us informed and looking forward to it. Uh, You mentioned needing a a third uh, track. And why is that? And what's the biggest challenge in order to make that a reality
0: excellent question so let's think about this as if we were in a car and we were driving let's say through the badlands before we added that third truck lane and we're going up a steep hill and we can't pass the truck and so if we transfer that analogy to the rails the issue is is that if we have a speedy more speedy passenger train that we need to make a, a three hour and 15 minute you know time from end to end and we're behind a union pacific train that's pulling freight up the pass or going down the pass it makes it very difficult. And so in order, so that's basically the answer is in order for the efficient movement of the passenger train, um, we would need to do that. The other issue is, as um, uh, we're all probably well aware, there's more and more freight coming through those ports of LA and Long Beach and headed out this way. And so the freight, freight tracks are very congested. And so if we want to get the passenger trains out of that congestion, we need to do
3: that. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Yes. Mayor. Thank you, Madam mayor. Um, Thank you for your incredible presentation and all the work that you've been doing to get us to this point. I get a lot of questions from the community of when do we expect this? So if you have a magic eight ball with fresh batteries and everything lines up perfectly, when do you think would be the soonest possible time that we could get this to fruition?
0: Well, we want it as soon as possible. Um, Reality is this tier two document, once we get the funding, which we hope is this year, um, the, the Federal Railroad Administration tells us they would like to have it done in two years. That part of it. However, we then need to design, construct, make sure we have the funding. Um, the, the statement I've been uh, making publicly is that 10 years is the most likely time horizon to consider right now. We, it's still too early to say exactly whether we're going to land on that or not. If there's a way to accelerate it, we will certainly find, it, find that way to do it.
3: Thank you. We're hoping that it's an optimistic, swift 10 years.
0: Likewise. Thank you.
3: Council Member Truby.
0: Thank you. Uh,
4: excellent presentation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, this may be getting ahead of ourselves. I know right now you're probably just dealing with infrastructure, but if this thing does go through and everything goes as planned, how many trips per day can we expect in the Coachella Valley times of day? I'm kind of concerned we're at the end of the line to, to some degree. And- you know, are we given short trips so as far as scheduling and making it convenient for our residents?
0: Sure, great question. So the the initial Tier 1 environmental document um, looked at two, two round trips per day um, with the possibility of up to five. It will all be based on what is the demand. And um, one of the things we want to do in this next tier of the environmental document is take a closer look at the demand and what, what type of scheduling. Um, I'm going to tie my tongue here, but um, we want to run a service where people are going to get on it. And so we, we would need to look at the schedule from that standpoint to make sure that we're not running a train through an area when no one's going to get on it, if that makes sense. So that, those are the types of details we need to, to dig into in this next phase. But that, that's the right question to be asking. Thank you.
1: Thank you. I'm sure you've heard and will continue to hear as it's pertinent uh, that we perceive prompt as or would be an ideal location Uh, for Mid Valley stop in large part because of the growing CSU campus. So I just had to say that.
0: We hear you loud and clear, Mayor. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Uh, Frontier Communication has also asked uh, to make a brief presentation. Um, about the status of some efforts on their part, welcome. Thank you. Uh, For the public, please understand that including this presentation does not imply any city support for specific products. This is for information.
5: Uh, Madam Mayor and, and Council, thank you so much for making the time for me to come and do this presentation today. In all my years when I was in office, I, um, I thought I had been in every city council chamber in, in, in Riverside. And I don't remember being in here before. And this is, I have to say, it's beautiful. So congratulations on that. Um, it is, I, the, when it comes to this presentation that we wanted to go through now, my goal is to do it very quickly. Um, the deck I have is, is to, I try to keep that part under five minutes for you. I don't want to answer questions you're not asking. But Madam Mayor, to your point, this is not a commercial. It is not meant to be a commercial at all. The primary purpose of my presentation today is to introduce myself to you. As as Vice President of External Affairs for Frontier Communications, I was recruited to work for you. Um, And they mean that rather seriously. And if we can, I guess I'm the one doing this. Um, This is a quote that, Frontier did not do. This is me. I said this when I was recruited about a year ago to come to this position. I had a couple of, of demands um, that that or, or I wouldn't take the job. And one of them was for them to understand that while they might pay my salary, uh, I would be working for for you. Um, I've spent enough time in office to know um, there are certain dynamics associated with what you do um, on your side of the day. Is one of the things that I. Could not stand, and I did not enjoy, and do never want to experience again. There are all the times, all those years, I was there, um, walking into church or walking into the grocery store or walking in everywhere, and having a constituent come up to me and absolutely blast me for something, and I would have to say to them, "I have no idea what you're talking about." And my goal here is a part the part, the main reason for tonight and for this for this presentation is is to try to once again introduce myself to you as your source as your senior point of contact with Frontier Communications, as we're doing our coming build here with our fiber optic that I'm going to walk through here very briefly. And the purpose for that is is that I, I, my goal is that you're never surprised, that you know what's going on, and if you don't, you know who to call. You have my cell phone number. Your city manager has my, will have my cell phone number. Um, you have my email. I prefer you don't put my cell phone number on your website. If you, if I prefer that if possible. Uh, my, my role is to interact directly with you guys. And for the purpose of that, so that when something does come up, because things do, um, you, a constituent is going to ask you about something you know who to come to, you're not going to get the runaround around when it comes to that, so that's the purpose for this and this is why I, ha- I say this um, and why I came back to Frontier and that was simply said that in the middle of this bill that they're doing, which is gargantuan, it's nationwide to bring fiber optic um, to, to the nation um, they realized that if they're going to do something bigger than they've ever done before they had better do a better job at that than they've ever done before and that's part of what I am here to do and help with that going forward I'm just going to handle the first three there. And basically what those are is on the first part of that is what we're bringing here is 100% fiber. Um, This is not fiber that is going to start for a wire center and stop someplace outside the wire center and be caught copper the rest of the way. Problem with copper is copper tends to, um, not get along well with wet. You know, when it gets wet, it stops working, and, and service is not as reliable. This is, this is 100% fiber optic cabling all the way to the side of the, of the customer's house. Second thing there is that um, where in the past with the copper, um, and in our, including our networks as well, is that the more folks who got on that, if, uh, the, the slower it went. I read a study that it said the average number of devices that are in a home is about 23. And I kind of laughed at that. And then I got to thinking, so it's just my, my wife, myself, and our cat in our house. And the cat doesn't use any devices that I know of. But uh, beyond that, they, we've got, I started counting. I've got three computers on my desk. He's got a computer on her desk. There's, this, there's the TVs, there's the phones. There, actually, I was up to about 13 or 15 devices with just the two of us in our house. If I was on copper, the more of those things that were being used at the same time, the slower it would go. So what we're trying to bring to your community is, is more, more um, reliable service that does not bog down, uh, and speeds that are pretty gargantuan. Um, the third thing there is high speed. Did I do that? Thanks. I'm glad it wasn't me. Um, the, the, the third thing here is the high-speed internet frontier is bringing is up to two gigs of speed. Um, this is two gigs up and down. We're offering three levels: 500 over 500, um, one gig over a gig, or two gigs over a gig. And this means that it's not fi- it's not 500 megs of speed down and five up this is five up and down so it avoids the pixelation that you would find in your tvs and when you're doing your zoom calls and those kinds of things and you know for those who wanted to do a gig great right, and whoever needs two gigs i don't need two gigs but for those who might need two gigs that's going to be offered for you as well um, once again this is a briefly a brief slide to explain it goes all the way from the wire center and all the way to the side of the house and every bit of that is fiber all the way and so you'll see some hubs and then and these the, the terminals you won't see because they're underground and then all the way to the side of the house. And that's basically how it works. What's nice about this is it's one and done. Once we're done with this build, um, we don't have to come back and do it again. Um, At some point, the the customers are gonna say, you know, two gigs were all so yesterday. We need five gigs now. And so all we have to do is basically change a light or a card in the wire center and now you've got five gigs. And, And we can keep doing that and keep doing that. We don't have to come back in again and rebuild the whole infrastructure. So this is the infrastructure of the future. What we try to do is be very communicative um, with your constituents because there is a build, and in some of those cases, there are holes that are going to be in and things, and so we want to communicate with folks um, in such a way that they know what's coming, so they're not walking out in the morning with their coffee to pick up their paper, and there's this construction in front of them, and they didn't know what, what it was about, and so there are certain programs within the, the process of getting the permits that, uh, that demand for us to make, make sure that we're doing our best to communicate. And so you'll see yard signs, but the construction door hangers are a big deal. The issue with that is that if you're, any of your constituents are like I am, which is I walk out my front door or in my front door rarely. I go inside in and out my garage. And so basically my front door is basically a connector, a collector for the door hangers. And so every so often I go out and pull them all off the door and throw them away. I won't even look at them. That's going to happen here in Palm Desert. And so sometimes we have tried to to alert your folks it's coming, with that method, and they did not realize we had done so. And you might get a call. When that happens, call me. That's what I'm here for. And so we'll take care of that customer, make sure everything's explained as well. But um, your, could, your staff could, has been, Could yeah. I
1: just stop you one second yeah. to feature something? Okay. Um, we strongly discourage door hangers. Oh well, we won't
6: because, do it. Okay. Time
1: out, time out. Because so many of our residents are part-time. And a door hanger can be a sign uh, to criminals that nobody's home if it stays there too long. So particularly because uh, we are a community with many part-time residents, that's a key issue. So I'll just feature that. Please continue.
5: That is exceptionally good information. And, such. and so we'd we'll be working that with your team to see, too, that that does not happen at all. So, Sean, you take the notes for that. Um, and so but we have several other ways to notify folks that aren't going to be uh, attractive nuisances, if you will, to folks who would take advantage of that. The whole purpose for this is however we do it, we want to communicate what we're doing to your folks so there's no surprises. But when there are, that's when you call me and, or you have your city manager call me as well. This is a map of what we are, are doing, and you'll see there the blue area is, is, the, are, are, is the city limits there. Outside, you see the, the red polygons outside the city. That's because the wire center also feels parts of other outside your city boundaries. You'll see three areas there with the arrows where I, I think it was under the Fios build way back when Verizon. They've already built those out. Um, there are about 22,000 what we call CLs, uh, customer locations, within this build. Um, we're doing about 6 point something, would it say 6.2 thousand um, within that we're working with your staff on. The rest of the stuff within your city is HOAs. I've lost count of how many HOAs you have in this city. And so we have reached out to, I think, 60 plus so far. We're continuing to do so to work with them to, um, to get, their, get permission and work with them to, to build within, within their, um, their areas of, of, of responsibility. So that's, but this basically represents, and we can talk about this if you have any questions later, this represents the build itself. It's, it's, it's rather big. This is not supposed to be a commercial. which just talks about the 500 up and down, the gig service, and then the, um, and then the two gigs. I'm going to pass on to that. So it's obviously being a commercial and go on to the reason for the prices being so low is we have divorced ourselves from content. We are not providing um, the, the big video ca- packages where you, you buy and you, know, you get 6,000 channels of which you watch three. Um, it, this is basically huge pipelines of uh, uber fast um, uh, Internet service which through which you can stream whatever you want to stream. So if you want HGTV, you just get HGTV. If you want Disney Plus, you just get that. And you stream that as, as opposed to having, you know, overbought if you will. And it allows the, the price to go way down. For me, it went it was a third of what I was paying when I had the packages before. And so it becomes very affordable. On top of that Um, We also comply with the affordable issues with folks who who need help, and we have a whole program for them as well, to where they have access to this internet at much reduced prices as well. So I'm not sure if I was under five minutes for this part, but this is the part where I say I'm I'm open for any questions you might have. I'm going to say I can't be that thorough.
2: Uh, Council Member Arnick. Thank you, and I crossed off the door hangers comment I was going to (laughs) make. Uh, and when you talk about that, cause I, I participate in the SoCal Transformation Program, which is uh, deals with all of this and ACP, the Affordable Connectivity mm-hmm. Program. Mm-hmm. Is that what you were just yes. talking about? Yes. So will you be uh, a participant in assisting our community members in being able to sign up? Can Absolutely. You, okay.
5: Uh, and let me stop you right there if I could. If you have a constituent that's having trouble with that, that now has risen to your level of information. Now you call me, and I'll see to they're, they're helped.
2: Well, I think it's, a, it's going to be a community-wide. I had that actually on my council member comments to talk about the affordable connectivity program because I wanted to make sure that we were working yes. on that. It's good to know that uh, we can consider you a partner yes. in, in getting our community members signed up for that. Uh, and the other thing, are you, have you uh, connected with the Coachella Valley Association of Governments?
5: No. I mean, other than me, and I, and, I, and I can interact with them, but we're not officially a now.
2: Well, I wouldn't expect you to be a member, but I'm, just, I'm asking that because they have, through their CV sync, which is the synchronization of all the signals throughout the valley, mm. at the same time they ran conduit for fiber. Mm-hmm. So I would um, not like the idea of us double doing or dig, digging twice. So I would think that CVAC would be uh, a logical connection for you.
5: The the bill that I'm speaking of here today is what we call FDTH, which is fiber to the home. Um, But by virtue of the fact we run by everything to get to those homes, um, therefore there's fiber in place. And so, but we have another silo, another part of the company that will then interact and I'll make sure that happens. um, So that, you know, we don't need the redundancy there. We can make that happen.
2: Great, thank you. Well, that took one of my council comments away too. Thank you. Um, I think that's it for questions. Thank
1: you.
5: Thank you for for your time. Appreciate it. (laughs)
1: Any city manager comments?
5: No comments today, thank you.
1: Which brings us to uh, council member comments. We'll rotate our starting place and council member Nostante will start with you.
2: No comments this
3: evening mayor, thank you. Mayor Pro Tem. Thank you, Madam Mayor. Uh, My comments this week is just a great deal of excitement and enthusiasm for our lovely arts uh, program. Uh, We have some wonderful additions that are coming, and uh, in particular, the ability for our residents and guests to be able to learn about all of the public art we have on 111, and forthcoming, the public art that we have um, in the park. So, this is an ongoing project that um, has been in the thought process that is now coming to fruition, and so with the access of a QR code, residents will be able to pull up information about the artist and what inspired them. So not only will we get to take in visually but understand what makes the art such a great part of our city. So I'm excited to be able to provide more info as that comes along. But it just means our city is getting more beautiful and the art is more accessible. Terrific. Councilmember Trube. Uh,
4: no comments this evening. Thank you.
1: Councilmember Harnick.
2: Thank you. Um, I just have a, a couple because I've exhausted them with other questions and comments earlier. But uh, it is National Staying Healthy Month. Just thought I'd remind everybody of that. And I am uh, serving on the State Policy Committee for Cal Cities for Transportation, Communication, and Public Work. So we've heard a couple things that fall under that umbrella. And uh, I will be keeping our, our community updated to the progress of those issues and how that looks in Sacramento with policies that we should perhaps have a say on. Thank you.
1: And just one item from me, of course, Monday coming up is the observance of Martin Luther King Jr. holiday. I'll be representing us over the weekend at a valley wide observance and we will present our city's proclamation then. Uh, But I certainly encourage all of us to use this holiday as a way to reflect upon the power of peace in both our personal and our civic affairs. Which brings us to uh, the opportunity for public comment on topics which are not on the agenda This is your opportunity to call our attention or the public's attention to a topic of interest and you have up to three minutes to speak. Uh, Speakers may attend either in person or uh, using the hybrid option and if we have those in uh, the hybrid world, I'll invite the city clerk to give them some instructions in just a moment. Uh, because the Brown Act does not allow us uh, to take up issues which are not on the published agenda, we won't be able to engage you in conversation here about your topics, uh, but we may briefly let you know if the status of work underway or refer a matter for follow-up. Uh, So I'll start with in person, perhaps, um, Mr. Clerk, and then we'll go to the instructions. Uh, First, uh, I have a card for Joseph uh, Skarna. Are you with us? Um, Please restate your name and place you live if you're so inclined.
7: Sure, my name is Joseph Skarna. I live in Palm Desert off San Juan Drive. Uh, my, uh, I like to bring up today about safety, traffic, more specific. I was wondering how much money is being dedicated from the sheriff's contract toward traffic safety in the evening. We had a terrible accident on Fred Waring and Adonis, which killed three elderly people. And that Monterey-Fred Waring intersection is a place where red lights are run, where pedestrians have to dodge cars even when they have the walk single going. In the daytime, in the evening time, it's the speed. I do believe our speed limits are proper, but they're not being enforced. So Fred Waring's like a corridor that's just like a racetrack at night. There's nobody on the street and they're speeding through Monterey trying to beat that light. I don't know what the reasons behind that accident were that killed those three people on Adonis Street, which they were making a turn onto Fred Waring. Um, but we're having a lot of problems with this, and we would hope that, I would hope, that we could look into maybe a little bit more traffic tickets at night. I know they do a great job, at the Sheriff's Department, during the day. They're on out. Fred, wearing a bike, uh, uh, Pump Desert Country Club in that corridor, which is another speeding area. And they do a great job patrolling that during the day. But I'm thinking, what about at night when there's no cars on the road? and you got those young drivers driving and using as a racetrack. That was my comment, I would say thank you.
1: And thank you uh, for for that perspective. Uh, Mr. Eilman, uh, could you look into that and let us know?
4: Absolutely, we'll uh, get on it right away.
1: Uh, Next are Aaron Sullivan Moore and Alyssa Williams. I'm just guessing it has to do with the Chamber of Commerce.
6: Good afternoon. Thank you so much for allowing us to speak before you today. Um, I just wanted to formally, as uh, the chair of the board for the Palm Desert Area Chamber of Commerce, to formally announce uh, that Alyssa, who has been with the chamber since August and has been absolutely instrumental in helping us put on such amazing events as our recent POPs, uh, but as of January 1st has been promoted to COO of our fabulous Chamber of Commerce.
1: Yay! (laughs) Thank you.
6: Thank you. And I just
1: want to say thank you and introduce myself and let you know that I'm there at the chamber every day. Should you need anything, give me a call. And I really look forward to working more with all of you. Thank you. Thank you. And I do want to publicly thank you for a terrific uh, police officer and public safety event. Uh, For any of you who are not familiar with this luncheon, uh, it exists to give every single jurisdiction in the Valley the opportunity to honor one of our first responder heroes. So it's a big event to produce, and I really think of the one you just put on was one of our most
6: successful ever. So thank you. thank you. Thank you so much for that, and thank you for the ongoing and continued support of the city.
4: And... Lorraine Salas. Uh, Please restate your
8: name. Yes, my name is Lorraine Salas. Welcome. Thank you. Yes, I've resided in the city of Palm Desert for over 10 years. And I just want to say thank you, Mayor Kelly, for mentioning Martin Luther King Day. I think it's a very important day. It's been... Uh, lessons all this week for uh, in the classroom, me being a teacher. So um, I was w- wondering, I was actually wondering what uh, events in the city were being held in honor of Dr. Martin Luther King. So, but what when, when I came today to speak about, hopefully it's not, um, uh, hopefully it's something I could speak on or it's not on the agenda, is, is uh, rent control in the city. So Hopefully I could speak on that, or that's what I'm here today to to speak about. Uh, Because Martin Luther King also not only fought for uh, racial justice, but economic justice. And I like to say one of his famous quotes, which was, this country has socialism for the rich and rugged individualism for the poor. And why I'm saying that is because when I first moved to the city, I started living in a studio that was $600. Today, that same, that same studio is over $1,000. And since that time, the California state hourly wage has only increased $5 an hour. So I would like to say, I, I believe not only myself, but others out there are on edge with the, the high amount of uh, cost of food and living. So I think it would be in the best interest of the city and its residents to consider rent control and um, I'm hoping to come back in the future to speak uh, during public comment, um, me and hopefully more residents uh, to speak about this important issue of the, the, the rising costs of, of rent in the city. Uh, we also have right now, uh, uh, my landlord was just saying that for a two bedroom, two bath, the, the, the payment should be 2200 a month. So I want everyone to think about what you pay in, with your mortgage and $2,200 for, um, I think it's way less than a 1,000 square feet. So, yeah, thank you again for this opportunity, and happy Martin Luther King Day. Thank you.
1: Um, just so you know, the last item on the agenda today is a report from staff about the rent control landscape, how much of that is occupied by the state, and how that impacts the prerogatives of local jurisdictions that was requested by the council. Uh, so if you're unable to state for that, that is part, of the staff's report is part of the published agenda on the website. And to answer the question about MLK Jr. events, uh, because he taught us about strength in community. It is our choice to uh, strongly support valley wide uh, celebrations of this holiday. And the planning committee has decided to move from city to city each year. Uh, so this year, uh, these celebrations and observances will happen in India and I will be present to represent us. Uh, anyone else present who did not complete a card who wished to speak?
4: Mr. Clerk. I'll uh, provide the uh, remarks for those who are on Zoom. Uh, For those on Zoom, if you want to participate in public comment, please click the Raise Hand button on your computer or smartphone. If you are joining the meeting by calling in on your phone, please dial star 9 to raise your hand, and when called upon, press star 6 to unmute yourself. Please keep your comments to no more than three minutes and begin by stating your full name for the record. And I do not see anyone uh, raising their hand on Zoom, Madam Mayor.
1: Thank you. Uh, Thank you all for your presence and participation. Uh, Which brings us to the consent calendar. Do any council members wish to remove items from consent?
3: No no wishes to remove, but I do choose to move forward or motion to move forward the balance of the consent calendar. Thank you, do we have a second? I will second the motion. Thank you.
1: are we using the automated system tonight?
4: Not, not quite yet, Madam Mayor.
1: Okay. Then please take the vote.
4: Councilmember Harnick. Yes. Councilmember Member Nistandy. Yes. Mayor Potemkin-Tanilla. Aye. Council Member Aye. Yes. Mayor Kelly. Yes. Motion passes five to zero.
1: Uh, so we have no consent items held over. Uh, ours single item under the Action calendar is a receive and file informational report as I just described. Uh, So Ms. Gonzalez, please walk us through that.
6: Good afternoon, Jessica Gonzalez, excuse me, housing manager with our economic development department. Also with us to present today, is virtually Brendan Kearns, our special counsel for the Palm Desert Housing Authority, and this subject matter. Sorry. The goal of today's presentation is to provide a broad overview of state law regulating market rate housing rent increases for residential rental properties. It went too fast, sorry. Um, The presentation will cover three primary topics. I will be providing a summary of Assembly Bill 1482. Brendan Kearns will join me to provide an overview of the Costa-Hawkins Rental Housing Act. And then you'll hear from me again on the local programs. To start, AB 1482, also known as the Tenant, Protection Act of 2019. This legislation established two primary items of protections for residents, renters across the state. The first one was capping annual rent increases. This capped where owners could not raise rents more than twice over a course of any 12 month period. The second part was protection that it imposed was a just cost requirement. This required um, that they would not be able, an owner would not be able to evict tenants who occupied a property for 12 months or more. Just cause requirements would be ones you would expect, such as where the owner would demonstrate a non-payment of rent from the resident, subletting, or a breach of contract from the lease terms that was not cured. These provisions are to remain in effect only until January 1, 2030, though it is possible that these provisions or this state uh, legislation could be extended, its term could be extended by the legislators during the period prior to the termination of this legislation time, as they have done in the recent housing laws. AB 1482 not only capped the number of times that rent increases could be imposed, but it also limits the amount of rent increases. Over the period of a 12 month month, the rental rate cannot be increased more than 5% plus the percent change in cost of living, or 10%, whichever is greater. The provision does not provide what some may refer to as vacancy control, which means when the tenant vacates, the landlord or the owner can impose a change in the rent price to whatever rate they choose. AB 1482 does have exceptions. The exceptions do not apply to certain housing categories, such as deed-restricted properties. For instance, the Palm Desert Housing Authority properties that provide a deed that are restricted to affordable housing. Another type would be college dormitories and housing um, that was issued a certificate of occupancy within the previous 15 years. Now I'll ask Mr. Kearns to join me in providing the Costa Hawkins Rental Housing Act overview.
9: Uh, thank you, Jessica. I just wanna confirm, can everyone hear me okay? yes okay great um mayor council uh, members of the public it's great to be with you today um and um yeah just to kind of set a little more context here we do have this fairly recent state law that jessica just explained um that's providing the statewide baseline what i'm going to talk about right for for matters like rental increases and so forth what i'm going to talk about is a law from a few um, decades earlier, that's looking now at certain constraints on local rent control efforts, right? So what the state's doing here is its, its actions are not in effect creating any rent control. They are putting certain limits on what cities might potentially do, right? And how do they do that? Um, they exempt certain types of properties um, from any local rent control ordinance. Significantly, most um, single family homes, as noted here on the slide, um, a dwelling or unit that received a certificate of occupancy after February 1st, 1995. And another really crucial component of the Costa Hawkins Act is the same concept of vacancy decontrol that was also in AB 1482, where if there's a new tenant, they can be set at a market rate, right? The rent. Um, There are limits potentially on increases during a tenancy, but once there's a new tenant in there, it would revert back to market rate. The landlord or owner can charge with whatever a tenant would agree to, and that would start off the tenancy. Subsequent increases may then be limited depending on the local law. And so with these limitations in place, you know, not too many cities, have opted to pursue rent control, certainly since 1995. Um, There have been some recent cities that have made that plunge, Pasadena very recently, Um, but for the the vast majority of jurisdictions, there's been a reliance on state laws governing the landlord-tenant relationship and more recent developments like AB 1482. So a notable thing here is we do not in Palm Desert, of course, have any generally applicable rent control. Since the 1980s, the city has imposed rent control programs on four mobile home parks. They're listed here in the slide. Now we thought to be comprehensive, it was worth noting this mobile home uh, rent control. Uh, But I just wanna be clear that the concepts like Costa Hawkins and AB 1482 that we discussed previously um, do not directly regulate mobile home parks. And I'll pass the baton back to Jessica to wrap up with a brief discussion of some local programs.
6: As mentioned, most cities have relied on AB 1482, um, as well as other state laws on rent increases. Cities across California have implemented a variety of programs concerning rent increases which include educational outreach mediation. Our city, the City of Palm Desert, does fund the Fair Housing Council of Riverside through our CDBG program to provide some of these uh, forms of programs where they are a neutral nonprofit organization and is available both to landlords and tenants offering services to assist them. Their services include the mediation, education, and outreach. I'm happy to answer any questions. And so is Brendan.
1: Uh, Questions from Council? Thank you. Uh, This is vastly more thorough (laughs) uh, than I was expecting, but it's very, very helpful information. Uh, It so happens that the resident concern, which gave rise uh, to my request for action was from a property uh, occupied after 1995, so our capacity to uh, to address their concerns is clearly restricted. Um, so this is before us for receive
3: and file. Would someone like to move to do? Is that a mayor pro tem? Sure. Um, as, as we're going through the information, something that, that popped up um, is today, and as I was going through my email, there was something from the Coachella Valley Economic Partnership, and I found it very interesting that they were addressing not only the, um, the average income, but the mean income in our city. And I was surprised to see how many of our census tracts actually show a very low um, average in, or mean income. So I was wondering, how does our city compare to others? And I think that this is maybe an internal conversation we've had that, I think, our, our general residents may appreciate knowing how we fare compared to other Valley cities in terms of rent control
6: um, other in our Valley um, ours uh, the only city that has adopted um, rent control is Palm Springs um, all other cities as we did engage in reaching out to our um, neighbors um, have not adopted any rent control or any other further um, regulated um, rent control or provisions to restrict rent increases.
9: And uh, Jessica, just to kind of supplement that, and we're talking about generally applicable rent control for market rate housing, right, that's distinct from mobile home parks. Because I know, like, obviously, we and some other jurisdictions also have mobile home park specific rent control.
3: That is correct. but aren't mobile home parks already um, under the, the control of uh, housing and urban development? How does the city impact that?
6: Our our provision, of, for instance, our city has a mobile home uh, rent review ordinance. So we have provisions there that are regulated very differently. They're, they're already regulated with provisions that would govern those four mobile home parks. So each, there's a few other cities that have similar ordinances that ha- they have passed for their mobile home parks, either only particular mobile homes within their jurisdiction or all mobile home parks of theirs. So that would, that's how they're governed on the rent increases for the, the remaining neighbors. However, the rent control that I was speaking of related to Palm Springs, that's actual rent control for market rate rental communities, not mobile home.
3: Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.
6: Would someone like to
1: move to receive and file?
4: Uh, we'll make a motion to receive and file.
1: And is there a second? I will second. Please take the vote.
4: Councilmember member Truby. Uh, yes. Councilmember member Harnick. Yes. Council member Nistani. Yes. Mayor pro tem Quintanilla. Aye. Mayor Kelly. Yes. The motion passes five to zero. Um,
1: and if I am not mistaken, that brings us to the conclusion of our agenda for this evening. There being no public hearings. Uh, So we are
6: adjourned.